The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. So today, Dr. Oz is going to be standing with Donald Trump on the stage. And I'm going to be proud to be standing with a president that is 100% sedition-free. Can't make this up. He said he's introducing Barack Obama, or Obama would come to stage later. And he says, uh, I'm going to be standing on this stage with a, a president, an ex-president, that's 100% sedition-free. And then the flags behind him just blow over. Big wind gust and all the U.S. flags blow over. You don't want to read too much into this. Of course, it made the rounds all over social media, comparing it to the Oz-Mastriano debate, or not debate, but their, uh, their rally. 40, 40 miles away, big, brilliant rainbow <laughs> from, from all, the way, all the way across. There's the Republican rally in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. But down the road in Pittsburgh, a massive wind gust just blows all the flags over. As soon as Fetterman mentions Barack Obama as 100% sedition-free. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show through our very own website. That would be that would be thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can see the stream there every weekday morning at 11 a.m. Central Time Zone of the United States. You can also get to the uh, the podcasts that are posted there on that same page later. They're also uh, referred to or posted at the front page of thetrumpet.com. So a lot of these rallies took place on Saturday. I think Barack Obama uh, was then in, he was in Pittsburgh at the start of the day. He was in uh, Philadelphia at the end of the day in uh, an arena at Temple University. And by the looks of it, I mean, it was state, they know how to stage things. What you saw on TV is there on the right side of the screen. But uh, as the first part of the footage shows, they had, to, they had to basically wall off the back half of the arena. And as you pan to the right, you see the upper level. A lot of it's uh, pretty much empty as well. So I think it's a 10,000-person capacity. The seats behind the U.S. flags there, nobody in those seats. I don't know how many were there, but not that many. And this is for Barack Hussein Obama. Remember, they had to bring in Obama because they're trying to stir up support in the base. They're trying to get Democrats. This is Philadelphia. This is like cheating central as far as the Democrat machines are concerned. This is where they learn how to cheat. They probably send Democrat operatives to Philadelphia to learn how to, 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 learn how to rig an election. And he can't even get that city to turn out. He can't even fill up a 10,000-seat arena. I think Doug, Doug Mastriano, he's running for governor. Uh, and polls are showing him a few percentage points behind. But he's pulling out numbers equivalent to what you just saw there, if not more, just at some of his campaigns last night. 
Mehmet Oz is ahead in the polls. But never mind the numbers. You, you, like we've said over the last couple of years, you look at it, see for yourself, and then we'll see what happens. Of course, just like with 2020, there could be rampant cheating. Romans 13 and verse 1, there is no power but of God. So true Christians can, can sit back and watch the show. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of fireworks. We'll see what happens tomorrow. But for flags to blow over at that moment, at that, I thought it was funny enough just, just watching it happen before I knew the context. And then when I saw what he said, couldn't believe it. God has a sense of humor too. And, and as we've said more seriously, God is exposing them. He's exposing their lies. We'll get into the absurdity of some of these lies in just a moment. Tucker Carlson packaged them all together at his monologue on Friday night. They're just so absurd, these narratives that they're holding near and dear to their hearts. The, the NBC reporter that comes out with new details uh, regarding the Pelosi attack, the hammer attack. And, and, and yet immediately, that story, NBC removes the story because it doesn't fit with the DOJ's, the DOJ's criminal uh, document that it filed in court. Doesn't fit with their affidavit. So just strike it from the record. And then, that's Friday, and then nobody in the news media seems bothered by that. Well, well hang on a second. This is an NBC reporter. He, he came across new details, and, and now it's been scrubbed. It was scrubbed in real time almost. Yeah, they just take it and, well, now we've got the narrative. The DOJ has established that. So you can't, you certainly can't contradict the narrative. Just pull the story like they did with the underwear story. Just pull the story like they did with the third person story. Even if it's mainstream reporters, it doesn't, it doesn't bother them. Just scrub it. Make sure you stay within the narrative. But let's come back to this campaigning. Here, as I said last week, you've got Antiochus on the one, on the one side. And then you've got the, the Jeroboam movement on the other side. Here's what uh, Barack Obama said in, uh, in Pittsburgh. On, uh, listen to him basically describe Obama's America. This is clip two. And I understand democracy might not seem like a top priority right now when gas prices are high and grocery prices are high. Sometimes it feels like government isn't making enough progress on the issues that matter to you and your family. I get that because sometimes progress is slow. We've seen throughout history, we've seen around the world what happens when you give up on democracy. We can see it in other countries where government tells you what books you can read and what books you can't. Countries that, that own all the media and, and just pump out propaganda and, and put dissidents and reporters in jail. That's a perfect description of Barack Obama's America putting reporters in jail. They just let the True the Vote founders out of jail, if not today or yesterday. They were in solitary confinement last week. These are the, these are the ones that Dinesh D'Souza interviewed on his documentary, 2,000 Mules. They were in jail last week because they wouldn't reveal a source. Can you believe this? It wasn't even a criminal activity or a certainly not a violent. It, supposing, let's just play along. Okay, you have to reveal the source, and if you don't, you're going to be penalized. But to, to throw someone in jail for that? Yes, that's what they do. Look at January 6th. There's people still rotting away in jail. 
And these are the people that are deciding what books are to be read and what books are to be kept out of schools and such. And when parents protest, throw them in jail. That's Barack Obama's America. He's, he's perfectly describing himself, even as he says, if you don't vote Democrat, this is what's coming. This is what the Republicans are going to do. This is no longer the angel of light. You can see the fire in his eyes. This man is angry. We went through, through that last week. The changing tone of Barack Obama. Listen to what he says about Dr. Oz. This is uh, from Saturday as well, clip five. John's opponents, he has answers. They're just the wrong ones. You want to lose weight? Take raspberry ketones. Got leg cramps? Try lavender soap. Want to prevent dementia? Palm oil, a miracle solution. I, I mean, never mind that none of these things have been proven to work. Some cases might be harmful. You've just got to believe and then hand over your credit card information. Snake oil, man. Listen, it's easy to joke about Dr. Oz and all these quack remedies he's pushed on TV, but, but it matters. It says something about his character. If somebody's willing to peddle snake oil to make a buck, then he's probably willing to sell snake oil to get elected. Says the snake oil salesman. This is Barack Obama who's pushing a candidate who has brain damage only because he wants to free criminals and lift any and all restrictions on abortion. He wants, I mean, it is a, it is a mother's choice to decide all the way up to nine months. Yeah, kill the baby. Free criminals, kill babies. That's all it takes for him, Barack Obama. That's, all, that's the, the only platform it takes for him to support a candidate, even when the candidate has brain damage. There he is talking about preventing dementia, of all subjects to bring up on that stage. Given his support for Fetterman, for Joe Biden, who, as I say, who's the snake oil salesman here? Listen again as Barack Obama describes Obama's America, clip three. Countries where it really doesn't matter who you vote for because the fix really is in. And people in power do whatever they want. And where corruption is rampant because there's no accountability. When that happens, people get hurt. He's talking about a nation where there's no accountability, where the people in power can do whatever they want, where elections are fixed. Can you believe this? That's, that's perfect, as I say. It is a perfect description of the America that this man created, the administrative state that's swooping in to San Francisco saying, look, this is what happened at Pelosi's home. Don't say it happened any other way. If someone does, I don't care if they're with Fox News or NBC. Just scrub the story. Scrub it. And, and, and no reporter will even ask any questions. Just move on. That's Barack Obama's DOJ controlling, or at least trying, to control the narrative. Listen to what he said uh, in Philadelphia on Saturday night, clip four. Republicans know this. 
And that's why they're doing everything they can to prevent you from voting. I, they, this is one of the only major parties in worldwide that actively tries to discourage citizens from voting. Right. The, the only party in the world, he says, that tries to steal or rig elections. And if you say that these guys rig an election, you go, you go to jail. You suffer. You're punished. People get hurt, as he said there at the end of that clip. As I said earlier, Tucker Carlson exposed, or really he didn't expose it for the first time because every single one of these lies, we've talked about them on this program, but when you pull it together and you just go right down the list over 12, 13 minutes, wow, you realize, you realize just how strong the spirit of deception is and how active our adversary, the devil, how active he is in, uh, in politics even. At, at the highest levels of government, Tucker talked about the democracy lie that you can actually destroy democracy by, of all things, voting. <laughs> you, can, you can destroy democracy if a majority of people vote Republican or they don't vote for Barack Obama. It's his third term we're talking about anyway. If they don't vote for him, then democracy is finished. Democracy is destroyed. This is, uh, this is what Jim Clyburn had to say. I think he's still in Congress. It says, what I see here are parallels to what the history was in uh, this world back in the 1930s in Germany. He says, history is repeating itself. If voters don't vote for Democrats, they are somehow supporting something akin to Hitler. It says here, if they don't vote against election deniers... Yeah, if you don't if you don't vote against election deniers, I mean, you're kind of part of the Hitler movement. What's going on here? Miranda Devine has this theory. She says the democracy talk is Democrats dog whistling to their unhinged Antifa base to unleash violence on Republicans when they lose. So either they're setting us up for massive cheating once again, or they're calling out the army in case they lose, just like they were prepared to do in 2020. Time magazine wrote about that, and basically the, the, the Democrats couldn't help themselves. They laid it all out there. These are the machines we had in motion. If it didn't work and Trump somehow got through for a second term, then we had our soldiers ready. We had our soldiers ready to attack. Well, and when you're talking about the other side as being a Hitler movement, there you go. You've got your justification, just like they did in the summer of 2020. The violence is necessary, said prominent Democrats. Well, I mean, we've got we've to bring about change. He talked, too, Tucker did, about John Fetterman's health, the big lie. It's perfect. His health is perfect, or, or at least it's certainly good enough. It'll be great. By the time he's, he's sworn in as senator in January, there's nothing to worry about here. And then, of course, you listen to Fetterman talk out on the campaign trail. This is clip six. I will always stood with abortion rights and will always will. We need a senator that understands what Pennsylvanians are going through on. We need to make more stuff right here in Pennsylvania and make more stuff right here in Pennsylvania and in America. And we're going to need every last one of you to be out and help 
get the votes out. And so there it is. That's just all from one speech. And you could put together many, many more statements like that from many other speeches. But we're just supposed to ignore it. We're just supposed to pretend that everything's perfect, just like the election of 2020. It's all perfect. Just listen to us. And don't, certainly don't vote against us. Listen to us. Listen to what we say. Go along, or else you're destroying democracy. Tucker talked about, well, I had another clip of Fetterman, but we can move on. The poor, the poor man needs rest. He needs some rest. He needs to be home, resting. His wife needs to be helping him, or he needs some, some assisted care of some kind so that he can recuperate. But as it is, they want him to go into the, the Senate so that they can get that vote for abortion. We just got to get that vote so, so we can have as, as many abortions as possible. Tucker talked about the southern border, how that these liars are out there saying there's no, there's, no, there's no real crisis at the southern border. Millions and millions of illegals streaming in. Something like a million getaways? Those are the dangerous, hardcore criminals there. And they're just spreading out all across the United States. Bill Malusian, as we've said before, he's about the only reporter that's down there who's getting footage, who's getting even nighttime footage of hundreds of illegals just, just pouring in. I saw a tweet from one of the blue checks that said, I don't know, some of this footage looks a little fishy. I wonder if it's staged. Yeah, that's the ticket. It's all staged. It's just, it's Bill Malusian who's telling a big, another big lie. Why aren't more reporters down there covering this crisis? Because they're told and they're telling you there is no crisis. It's perfect. It's a perfect border. Perfectly secure. Now, Ukraine, their, their border, there is a lot of insecurity there. We've got to send billions and billions and billions of dollars to help them shore up their border crisis. But America's is just fine. Tucker talked also about inflation. They're out there saying it's not real. Or in the case of Joy Reid, she's saying, you know, this is a word, inflation. I mean, uh, were it not for politicians and economists, uh, nobody would even know what it means. Listen to this unbelievable clip, clip 14. I have actually never heard a person who isn't an economist or works on CNBC. I, and the only people I ever heard you, hear use the word inflation are journalists um, and economists, right? So that is not part of the normal lexicon of the way people talk. So it's interesting that Republicans are doing something they don't normally do, right? Which is not use the, com the common tongue, right? Not use just common English to sort of use do on their campaigns like they're doing with crime. But what they've done is they've taught people the word inflation, right? Yeah. Most people who would have never used that word ever in their lives are using it now because they've been taught it. Right. Never would have used the word inflation were it not for Republicans. Those evil GOPers, they, br they brought inflation. I didn't even know what it meant until the Republicans started talking about it. Look, listen to this, this Fox panel. These are, with the exception of one, these are Democrats who are telling Fox News that they're now going to vote Demo they're now going to vote for Republicans because of what's happening in our nation because of the dreadful economic numbers that they're seeing every single day. Here's how they responded to what you just saw there from Joy Reid, clip 16. Everywhere. 
that we're being told that we're taught this or fed this oh, through God. the media as though we don't, you know, aren't intelligent individual people that understand what, what's happening around us and, <laughs> and what's happening in our pocketbooks. And she's a Democrat. Yeah. She's, and, and, and by the way, you were a Democrat. You also raised your hand. You're going to vote Republican in this election? Yes, I already did. I voted all Republican except for one Democrat. Well, Amer what, look, Amer American voters think? are not stupid people. Right. And when, when you, from the White House to these talk shows, we're told we don't understand what's going on. We're living it every day. These people in their ivory towers have, they're the ones with no concept, and they think we're stupid and they're trying to snow us. That's right. These are ordinary Americans saying, you, you know, look, we're living this. And then Joy Reid gets out in front of the camera and says, uh, they don't really see what's happening here. They don't really know or understand what's going on with inflation and the economy, says the millionaire. The millionaire, by the way, who's probably about to be uh, fired. Will she be next, following in the line of Tiffany Cross? They're, they're all being laid off because they've got no numbers. That's another thing. That's another thing. Nobody watches them. I know you don't. You wouldn't even know these things are being said were it not for this show, playing some of these clips. Well, maybe you see some of them on Twitter and that sort of thing. But just normal craziness coming from the propagandists in the media and Barack Obama describing other nations outside of America where... The regime has control of the press and where political po opponents are persecuted and where the regime says, this is what your child's going to read. This is what your child is not going to read. That's Obama's America. Describes it perfectly. Listen to Chuck Todd yesterday on his Sunday show talking about what ordinary Americans think about these economic numbers that we keep seeing. Clip nine. And here's, the, to me, the number you probably ought to care about the most in this poll. The state of the U.S. economy. 81% tell us they are dissatisfied. This is the second highest number we've ever recorded. The last time it was this high was just before the 2010 election. And you know how that one went. Wow, 81%. And yet Joe Biden was out last week saying this, clip 15. So the economy is up, price inflation is down, real incomes are up, gas prices are down and need to come down further. Exports are all also up, which means a simple thing. We're making a lot of money in America because of that. Guess what? We're exporting products we made rather than jobs. No, I'm serious. Guess what? Those are all lies. All lies. Every once in a while, though, he will open his mouth and say the truth. Listen to this one, clip eight. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is they're going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America and having wind and solar. We're going to shut down the coal plants all across America. It's just going to be all wind and solar. Hopefully it'll be sunny and windy. What happens if the clouds are out and there's no wind? Everything shuts down. Just like the, in California when they had the last energy crisis just from a few weeks ago. Remember, they told the electric car owners, don't charge your car. We don't have enough, we don't have enough electricity available on the grid. There he is. I, I assume he's saying that in Philadelphia or, or Pennsylvania somewhere. He's going to shut it down? Yeah, well, how does that set with a lot of uh, coal miners in Pennsylvania? That's, uh, as I say, saying the quiet part out loud, a little bit too loud in this case, and at, at the wrong time, right, before the midterms. Another lie 
that Tucker mentioned on Friday's monologue, the fact that crime, crime is not real. And then I could add to that. And then in a, in a few obvious cases, fake crimes are real. But they're saying about crime, this is, look, we really should get control of the narrative here because Republicans are just using this to try to scare you. They're trying to tell you that you need to vote Republican because it, there's crime in the streets of America. They say this as if there's no crime in America or that it's not increasing. Listen to this from MSNBC. This had to come as, it had to have come as a shock to uh, Kathy Hochul. She's running for governor in New York. Polls are showing that she's running neck and neck with Lee Zeldin. Here she is on MSNBC and listen to this question that the MSNBC host hurls at her, clip 13. But I'm gonna interrupt you then. Here's the problem. We don't feel safe. You might be working closely with Mayor Adams. You may have spent a whole lot of money, but I walk into my pharmacy and everything is on lockdown because of shoplifters. I'm not going in the subway. People don't feel safe in this town. So you may have done these things, but right now we're not feeling good. We're worried we could be San Francisco. We're not safe, she says to the candidate, the deer in the headlights, basically. What a question. And that coming, I'm sure she wasn't expecting that to come from a, a sit down with an MSNBC host. We don't feel safe. Here in New York City, we're becoming like San Francisco, to which I would have asked, hey, what's wrong with San Francisco? That's where Paul Pelosi's from. That's where Nancy, Pel Nancy Pelosi's the Speaker of the House. San Francisco values are what we celebrate. Seems like you're kind of putting down San Francisco, and then together with that, New York City. Pretty amazing. Crime isn't real. Speaking of San Francisco and the ever-changing Paul Pelosi uh, narrative. Listen to this from uh, MSNBC. Sorry, this is NBC. I think it was on the Today Show Friday. This is the story. I think the segment's just two, two and a half minutes. But this was on the Today Show. You had the host, I forget who it was, but commenting to the reporter. Oh, yeah, that's very interesting. New details, new details. And then, I don't know how long it was, a few minutes or a couple of hours later, but, but NBC scrubs the report and says that it doesn't meet our journalistic standards. That, that's what NBC is concerned about here. Their standards of journalism. Well, listen to the original report that has since been erased from NBC's website, Clip 11. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. Investigators have previously said Pelosi did not know DePap when the 42-year-old broke into his home. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear. That's really strange. He, he opens the door. 
He doesn't try to flee. He doesn't indicate that uh, he's in some kind of distress. Keep in mind, the pape had smashed in the window with the hammer. And then we get the question about the timing now. I think the next clip is what points out that they were inside for 30 minutes. This is clip 12. The bottom line here is this was a terrifying situation. We still don't know exactly what unfolded between Mr. Pelosi and the suspect for the 30 minutes they were alone inside that house before police arrived. 30 minutes alone. So he smashes the window. I guess he went upstairs. They, he held him hostage and then he got tired. He wanted to take a nap. Um, and then the door, the doorbell rings. The cops call him out and say, hey, we're here. And Pelosi comes downstairs, opens the door. Doesn't look like he's in any kind of distress. And then he retires back to where DePape was. What is going on here? Yet another whopper of a lie. Or at least a changing, ever-changing narrative. They were to get... This, this was in Breitbart, just pulling together all of the changing stories. It was a local uh, outfit, KTVU, reporting that DePape was in his underwear when police arrived. But then the reporter has to go and uh, retract that story, or the agency, or the, the, uh, the journalism uh, TV, TV station. Third person present in the home. That was reported by uh, MSNBC. And, and Politico, they had to retract that. No, no, no. There was no third person. DOJ says so. And, and then now this. Everything's good, officer. Everything's fine. Everything's going great. It's perfect in here. And then pop with the hammer. That's, uh, that's just a sampling of some of these absurd lies that Tucker Carlson covered in one monologue on, uh, on Friday night. This regime, Joe Obama, Barack Obama, the Antiochus, this regime is distraught at their inability to be able to control. They used to have a firm grip on the control of this propaganda, and we were getting a steady diet of it for years. But there's some pretty, pretty big earth-shaking developments. Look at Elon Musk taking over Twitter and, and all of these, these heads exploding in the media. Listen to this uh, discussion from MSNBC, clip 10. I know that you've been talking to a lot of folks um, employed by Twitter. What are they telling you? What does the separation also look like, the details of that? Sure. Uh, so the most important thing that Twitter employees want to stress is that the company is a nightmare right now. Yeah. And it, you cannot work there. The other thing they're warning to me about, oh. by the way, to regular people, like, yeah. you know, this is the thing. These people have lost their jobs, and this is what they're worried about right now. On Monday, anybody can maybe buy a verification badge, right? Verif verified checkers. Right. Yeah. You could go and pose as anybody, an election official, a uh, public figure, whatever. And there's, they've cut the moderation staff so severely that there's no way they're going to catch up in time to these lies. Wow. So using Twitter as a trustworthy source of information on Tuesday is going to be a nightmare. That's what people inside of Twitter or people who just got laid off, some people who are still there are warning about because they go and talk to Elon, who is deeply out of his depth, objectively. And they don't know what's going to happen next week during the United States elections. Twitter will no longer be a viable source that we have looked to for, for so long going forward because we are in the age of misinformation. I mean, the timing could not be worse for all this stuff. Um, we're going to see what happens. I, I'm, I don't mean to sound the alarm quite so severely here, but this could be really bad. Panic attack. 
off, coming from both, really. Anyone can get a verification badge. I think it's, is it $8 per, is it $8 per month? That's, that's got Sam's name written all over it. Mine too, probably. We should both get the blue, the blue checks have arrived in the Philadelphia Church of God. We finally made it and we can influence the tide of opinion with our blue check. There was a, a, a story just the other day and Elon Musk confirmed it. The rumors about how that these low-life Twitter people that are now being fired were actually selling badges under the table. You know, there's, a, there's an application process. You gotta prove that you're famous or influential or whatever. And these low-lives at Twitter were saying, ah, application not approved, but hey, I'll give it to you for 15 grand. And now they're worried about the fact that anyone can get a verification badge. Elon Musk, to his credit, is going in there and cleaning house. There's a lot of corruption. And, and what about this? Like, oh, it's happening right during midterm elections. It's like the low lives that are sort of monitored, the, the Twitter police, how that they should have control over how the election plays out tomorrow. The Twitter police, who are these people? What about their verifications? What are their credentials? We don't know anything about them. All that we know is that if you say something that doesn't, that doesn't fit within the regime's narrative, you're going to be deleted. You're going to be censored. That's what we've been seeing for years now. And so Elon Musk buys it. They have no problem with billionaires, Soros, Bezos, and those guys having total control of organizations. But when it comes to Elon Musk, he's not even that big of a conservative. But he, he, he has a pretty good nose for sniffing out corruption, evil, double standards, all of those things. And he's got to lay off thousands of employees just to, just to keep the company afloat. Just so that it can make some money. And, and all, these, all these blue checks saying, no way, $8. Never. Never would I pay $8 to keep... And then they quit Twitter, and then the next day, I read one this morning, I'm back for a day because I just want to warn you that democracy is on the ballot. So vote Democrat or else we lose our democracy. Okay, I'm leaving Twitter for good. See you later. He'll be back again tomorrow. It's like a drug, these people. They, they want control. And when they lose it, they start doing what you see, what you're seeing on this program every day for the last few weeks. Heads are exploding. Listen to these headlines. Washington Post, Twitter layoffs gutted election information teams days before midterms. The election information teams? You mean those teams are gone? Who are those teams? Where do they go to school? What kind of credentials do they have? The election information teams, we've lost them. So we're losing democracy because we don't have the Twitter election information teams. This is Politico. Elon Musk plunges Twitter into chaos ahead of midterms. They're telling you right here with these headlines how they influenced the 2020 election, covering up Hunter Biden, all that stuff. They're telling you. They're admitting it. We're losing our control. That's why my head's exploding. This is NBC. Days before midterms, Twitter lays off employees who fight misinformation. We're losing the ones who fight misinformation. Now I can get a blue check. That's not me. MSNBC is not going to be able to control the audience that I can influence with my blue check status. Forbes, listen to this one. 
Elon Musk has laid off many Twitter employees charged with protecting the midterm elections. That's all Twitter was ever trying to do, just protect the integrity of elections. The tide is turning, in case you didn't notice. There's lots to keep an eye on tomorrow, for sure, but it's pretty obvious that the tide is turning and that, you know, when Governor Hochul is sitting there in front of a, a, a propagandist, no less, who says, we're afraid. We're, we're afraid to go out. I, I won't even ride the subway. What are you going to do? I can't even go to a pharmacy. Everything's locked down because of all of the shoplifting. What are you going to do? Well, it's what these people have been doing for the last couple of years that's caused so much of this corruption, so much of this crime, so many of, that, have, that have told so many of these lies, that have censored so many voices of concern, parents that have jailed enemies. If you want to read about this story <laughs> and more, just call our operators and request America Under Attack. But in this same book, as my father says, in other writings as well, God says he's going to expose the attack. He's going to expose the corruption. And there will be, it will be temporary, but there will be a temporary resurgence in the United States. The toll-free number, it's one 930 You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something, is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. Trumpet Daily. Sam reminded me during the break uh, comments my father made over the weekend about how that some of these developments we're seeing in the news. Netanyahu returning to power in Israel last week, uh, and then Elon Musk taking over Twitter, and how that these developments, together with other with other events, 
are exposing the radical left. And uh, my father also made the point that the more control that the Republicans get in Congress, the more it may flush out whistleblowers who begin to think about, uh, I don't know if I want to go before this committee uh, a few months from now or a year or two down the road. I think I'll just uh, come forward and blow the whistle. It's interesting. This was uh, sent to me during the break, too. Sam said this. It's from Politico. Politico says the 2020 presidential election was rife with allegations of voting machine hacks that were later debunked. No problem. 2020, no voting machine uh, hacks, nothing like that. It was perfect, okay? We got the candidate in that we wanted, so it was perfect. This is the same, the very next sentence from Politico. Yet, there are real risks that hackers could tunnel into voting equipment and other election infrastructure to try to undermine Tuesday's vote. So they're talking about election denying or election rigging now, the day before the election, in the same sentence that they say, now I know it was said in 2020, but that was debunked. But now the threat is real. The threat is real. These people, they will do and say anything to maintain their grip on power. How about this? This is from uh, American Free Enterprise. They've got a new publication. I believe it's a, I believe it's a publication or maybe it's a, uh, some kind of a, a speech. But the title is The American Dream is Under Attack. The American Dream is Under Attack. They stole our headline. This book's been out since 2013, the first version of it. This is the, the newest updated version from just a few months ago. The American dream is under attack, and we've pointed out in recent programs just how a lot of the language you saw at the Trumpet magazine 10, 15 years ago, even what Mr. Armstrong was saying in the 1940s and 50s, it's all over the place now. As people see it, they see America under attack. We told you this years ago. It does really give you uh, faith in the sure word of Bible prophecy. It's a, it's a real faith boost for sure. Last week we were talking about the Bible, studying the Bible. We were talking about becoming skilled at using the sword of the Spirit. Look at this example from Ezra 7. It says here, And Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the eternal God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his request according to the hand of the eternal his God upon him. It says in the Ezra-Nehemiah booklet, this is written by my father, it says, This is the reason the king granted Ezra all his request. God opened great doors for Ezra because he was skilled in the law. What an incredible example for us. He was skilled in the law, the language in King James. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. He knew his Bible. He knew his Bible, and God gave him a tremendous amount of favor. Verse 10 says, And Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of God, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments, He prepared his heart. In other words, he set his heart on godly things. He set his heart on the things of above. Colossians 3 and verse 2. He sought first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6 and verse 33. Jeremiah and Isaiah, or rather Psalm 119. 
Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. It's just what I get up and think about. It's what I think about through the day. I, I dream about it. <laughs> God's law. God's truth. This is from the Ezra booklet. It says, we should all set personal goals to be more like Ezra. We all must continually set our minds to grasp law, God's law and government. This does require much study and a lot of hard work. We must know the law so well that we can teach statutes and judgments. You see, it's not enough just to know it. We've got to know it so well that we can be able to teach it, that we can be able to give this truth to others. It's like I said in, in, in uh, Epistles class recently, read the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 8. I mean, if you're not studying it so that you can give it, so that you can teach it, so that you can help someone else with it, it's just going to end up being a vain exercise. It's just going to end up being pure vanity. Just knowledge for the sake of accumulating knowledge. There's plenty of people like that in the world today. They're just filled with pride and vanity because they think they know so much. God says we've got to know it so that we can give it to others, so that we can help others with it. That's what we want to do in the family of God. Set personal goals to really learn the law of God, to understand the truth of God, to know it well enough so that we can teach it. It says here, Ezra came to show the Jews that a temple can only be truly built with God's law. We must understand this same lesson. God's church can only be built upon law. It says, let's be sure we obey and teach, and teach the law. This is how we qualify for our positions, our exalted positions in God's kingdom. God needs teachers. It's really not that complicated. This process, this purpose, this plan God's working out here below. It's a family plan. And he needs the father and the mother to be able to teach children, to be able to raise children into the family of God. That's what the, the church of God is here to do. We're right up on the mother level. You can read about that in the God Family Vision, my father's book. You can read about it in Why Marriage, Soon Obsolete. Herbert Armstrong wrote that one. There's no higher calling than to be right up at the bride and mother level, married to Jesus Christ. This shouldn't sound strange to you. I mean, if you're, if you're new to the program, maybe it does. But read the end of Ephesians 5. Read Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. See what God says about marriage, about why marriage. God instituted it from the very beginning. In Genesis 2, he ordained marriage. Why? Because God is a family. And God's reproducing himself through family. It's a family plan. And he wants us to know everything that we need to know about it so that we can give it to others, so that we can teach it to others. It says in verse 11, this is the same passage, Ezra 7. Now this is the copy of the letter that, uh, that the king, Artaxerxes, gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the eternal and of his statutes to Israel. It just keeps emphasizing how that he was a ready scribe, a real Bible scholar, not, not a fake one like we see so much of in this world, but a real one. He was submitted to the, the word of God. He knew the laws of God. He obeyed the laws of God. It says here, Artaxerxes, king of, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of God, the God of heaven, perfect peace. And at such a time, my father says this in the booklet, 
the great God of the universe, gives us credentials as a Philadelphian member. You also represent this great God. We must never forget who we are and whom we represent. You also have credentials of the highest order. See, we don't need a blue check, spiritually speaking. We don't need to pay off some guy. We don't need to pay some no-name, low-level Twitter employee. We don't need to be bribed or to bribe in return to get credentials from God. Having God's truth is all that matters. Having God's Paul said that the people of God were his credentials, and he was a pretty smart man. He was a Pharisee before he came along into the church. But he, he looked at the brethren of God who had begun to, uh, begun to question his credentials, and he said, look, you're, you're, my, you're proof. You're proof that God is in me. You're proof that God's working through me. You came along into the church because I'm like a father figure to you. It's a miraculous work to be a part of it, to receive the, the, the Spirit of God, power from on high. It opens our minds to understand so many things that no one in this world can understand. And it doesn't mean we're any better than anyone else. It just means that there are first fruits, and then the second fruits, and then the third fruits. And everybody comes into the truth, the true, the kingdom of God. When it's all said and done, everyone comes along into it because families grow. God is a family, and it's going to grow large. It's going to be filled with, with hundreds of billions of beings, maybe trillions. God is a family man. He's a family builder. Verse 20, it says, And whatsoever more shall be needful for the house of the eternal uh, God, which you shall have occasion to bestow, bestow it out of the king's treasure house. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, do make a decree unto all the treasures which are beyond the, the river, that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, shall require of you, it, it be done Speedily. I mean, this is just tremendous favor that Artaxerxes, this, this worldly Gentile king, he just basically says, look, we'll open up the, the gates to the treasury and just help yourself. I know you're serving God. I know you're a ready scribe of the God of heaven. God worked this out, and the work of God moved forward during that time. And the same can be said for what's happened in the last three decades, three decades plus. Miracle upon miracle. This little work started with two fired ministers and $80 in the bank. How does that become successful? How does that go right around the world? Well, you, wish, you do wish that, that tens of millions were listening to these, these programs or, or visiting the website every day. But look, like my father said also over the weekend, if you look at some of the prophecies of what God's work will be doing in little Judah before the return of Jesus Christ, there's... There's a lot to be done. There's a lot yet to do. But as he noted over the weekend, I mean, there's a lot that has already been done there as well. And you can see this by just looking into the history, the impact that Herbert Armstrong had on little Israel, all the prime ministers and prominent officials that he met with, mayors, and, and the love that they had for him, this unofficial ambassador for world peace. That's what they called him unofficial because he didn't have the credentials worldly speaking i mean he didn't have he wasn't like some appointed diplomat that 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 a king or a prime minister said hey i want you to be my ambassador i want you to be a diplomat and go over to israel 
He didn't have the credentials from the media, certainly not from some lowlife at Twitter. His credentials were from God. And, 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 and world leaders all over the world, and especially those in the Middle East, they welcomed him with open arms. They, they, they invited him into their, their palaces for a private audience, a private discussion. And Mr. Armstrong, after simplifying it in words that anyone could understand, he went into those rooms, he went into those meetings, and he preached the gospel of the soon coming kingdom of God, the family of God, administering the government of God on this earth. Now, there's other prophecies that talk about great multitudes coming along later during the tribulation. Because then they'll know, Ezekiel 33, read, read the end of that. Then they'll know that there was a prophet, there was a prophetic work, there was a true church. But most, most are going to turn it out, tune it out, I should say. Most are going to turn off the truth because, like it says in Isaiah 30, like it says in 2 Timothy 4, they love to hear about smooth things. They love it when an angel of light talks. Now, more and more of those lies coming from that angel, they're being exposed. And more and more, he's finding it harder to conceal his anger, his rage. But we want to get God's perspective in all of these things. I mentioned Romans 13.1 at the top of the first segment. There can be new, no ruler unless God allows it. So God is involved. I mean, in, to some degree, it's hands off. But his purpose, his plan goes forward. And we're pushing right up to the outer edges of great tribulation, just as Jesus prophesied. But there is hope. There is hope on the horizon, and that hope is in the return of Christ, the marriage between Christ and the church, and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily, the 800 number, just to repeat. 866-930-3024. And if you'd like to email the show, you can reach us at td at thetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.